I feel like the young man Elihu in the book of Job, who patiently waited for Job's older, more experienced friends to attempt to instruct him in true but fully misguided principles. Then he stood and basically said, I've listened to this foolishness long enough. This is what God is doing in America's trials. Unless we share Christ precisely where the devil is attacking, we're denying Christ. That's a pretty telling quote. Just where is the enemy attacking? Signs are in our nation. One nation under God, indivisible. Are we the United States or is that just the name over the door? I know this. Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. I also know that God confused the languages of man and separated them into nations, tribes, and tongues because he had said earlier in Genesis that men's hearts were only evil continually. And then, if they are united, there is nothing that they can't do. God clearly didn't want men to live in unity if their goals were evil. Today, America is divided. God has given to Pastor Hardika a very special message for our 100th podcast. In it, he shares the deepest and hardest lessons of faith that he has had to learn in the valleys of betrayal, loneliness, and injustice. When dreams die, is not for the faint-hearted, but a lesson that American Christians must learn in this present season. It will not be satisfying to the carnal Christian, but a welcome drink of cool water, to those who will understand Abraham's journey up the mountain. All through the scriptures, we see that God's agenda is, and always has been, to overcome the evil the Bible calls sin. When it is removed and men are serving God instead of themselves, then they are on the road to unity. Consider also that Paul said love is the perfect bond of unity, and that Jesus prayed that we would receive his glory, that we may be one. The seventh deadly sin outlined in scripture is to sow discord. Now, I'm not going to be Captain Obvious here and talk about the hypocrisy we see in our nation in the name of bringing the country together again, but I will say that Satan has done a pretty good job dividing us. And why? He seeks to kill, to steal, and to destroy until men are on the road to hell, and they don't even contest it because they don't know it. God has put it in my heart that he is bringing this nation to its knees. This is the year of consequences, where America reaps what it has sown. Yet Christians still seek to remove the outward injustices while failing to understand that God is not an enabler. Though he is gracious, he will not merely sweep away the consequences of sinful actions in the name of mercy and grace. To think he would means not understanding the cross at all. The most merciful thing that God can do is show people before it's too late that if they sin and do not repent, they will face eternity in hell. So he allows people to be humbled. So many Christians have been disheartened that Donald Trump lost the election, that totalitarianism is pushing forward without restriction, that hypocrisy is blatant, and on and on the narrative goes. Yet that which truly is evil will bring consequences that bring men and nations to fall. Remember a nation divided against itself? But God only allows negative things for positive reasons. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. If men are brought to their knees, it is a good thing. It's a call to turn to God. 
Even the great tribulation outlined in the book of Revelation has the motivation to call men to repent if they will. King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel was humbled for years until he acknowledged the sovereign rule of God. Daniel in the lion's den and the three captives in the fiery furnace were not to destroy them, but to display the nature of God to save men who are faithful to him. A nation in turmoil, division, and in the beginning stages of Christian persecution is a nation becoming ripe for a revival. It's been noted before that where the suffering is greatest is where a revival will have its greatest impact. And please note that revival is a word describing that which was once alive and is now close to dying, but is about to be rescued. This current American chaos is not a place to be disheartened, but actually the opposite. Jesus said that unless a corn of wheat dies, it cannot bear fruit. A farmer understands that when a seed is planted in the ground, it dies before it sprouts up out of the ground. Even Jesus had to die before a resurrection could happen. That's his word. Unless a corn of wheat dies, it can't bear fruit. The flesh dies so that the spirit can come to life. Israel's first act after crossing the Jordan River to conquer the land was not to fight. It was to be circumcised, a painful operation that required a time of healing before they were ready to march around Jericho and see the walls fall before them. The death of the carnal man is a prerequisite for the life of the spirit to bring forth fruit. I, for one, am through with the revivals of men and our proud, faith-claimed, flesh-oriented moves that promise everything but call for no price to be paid. Revivals that claim faith to be embraced for what God can do for us instead of what men can do for God never last and never produce lasting change. Prophecies that predict but don't proclaim are empty and dishearten the people. Only when we have something that we're willing to die for do we have something worth living for, and die was what many first-century Christians did. The early church flourished amidst persecution and prophesied by example to the centuries since that the church has always had its greatest impact when persecuted. Years ago when I was sick and doctors couldn't find a reason, God said, grow in faith for healing. So I did, because he said to. And one of the obvious fruits was a middle-aged businessman dying in church but coming back to life after prayer. Doctors confirmed it to be so. But there were people there who saw it, yet backslid later in life. You see, miracles don't establish faith. They merely confirm it. The greatest thing I discovered out of the lifelong teaching by the Holy Spirit about when dreams die was the power of God's presence to sustain a man in anything. The devil tries to kill, but God will use that darkness as a canvas to paint his victory. But I had to learn that dreams of faith will often die. They need to die that they may be resurrected by the power of God. Abraham learned that, and in the process he had to wait 25 years for a son until, at the age of 100, he and his wife said, No way. But they had to be convinced in their flesh that it was impossible until they learned to not listen to the flesh of man. That's not something you learn in a sermon or Bible college or a textbook. You have to walk it out. Once you do, you can be like Abraham and obey God by taking your only son, your greatest dream, up the mountain to give it back to God. That's when God told Abraham, with knife poised over his son to offer him in sacrifice, Stop! Now I know that you fear me, and in blessing I will bless you. 
This is something that I learned in great dimension when we were on the road in the tent ministry. And to those who may be listening who had come along, I want you to understand that the dream that died on the road, if you have been faithful, it is about to bear fruit through you. And church, you're being called by God to take your son, America, up Mount Moriah to offer it upon the altar. Give it back to God and learn what that uphill march is really like. Stop trying to save your son, your dream, your nation, and start obeying God by faith. He lets dreams die before they can become a reality. The pathway you walk will glorify God and show the world that you don't have to be an obnoxious fact-checker, an accuser, a right-fighter, and an angry Christian judge. God taught me a long time ago that we have to be willing to surrender back to God everything that He has given to us, and we need to do it every single day. This is not faith kindergarten anymore. This is big boy faithfulness that is willing to go to the cross with your hopes and dreams and die to whatever God is allowing. He will raise up what He will raise up in His time. Should you openly declare sin when you see it in the media, in the government, Yes, but the whole point of this is that it is done from the posture of surrender to God, genuine love for your enemies, and a willingness to die without bitterness should it strike your home. You and I are here to display the character of Christ. He overcame the darkness because he had already surrendered to its impending intention to crucify him. Revelation says, They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. If we don't embrace the death of our dreams for America, we won't be of much use in the resurrection that God is planning. We are not the convincers, and we are not here to build a democracy but the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the convincer. We are the obeyers and the joyful worshipers. We may soon be living under similar conditions that the New Testament was written in, It is within the context of injustice, persecution, and deadly opposition that we best understand what is written in the Bible. Of the Thessalonians it was said, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. For truly, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it has come to pass, and you know it. Of the Hebrew Christians, Paul said, You became a public spectacle by your tormentors through your afflictions, and you took joyfully the extortion and plundering of your goods. The war we wage must not be fought with bold declarations that how we suffer is unjust. It is won by the willingness to be treated like Christ was treated, that when our dreams die, By faith we shall live still and release the power of God to raise up what He wills. Offer your national dream as a sacrifice to God in faith that He will raise it up. I've learned that whatever He has given me, I must hold with an open hand and be willing to give it back to Him every day, lest I abuse it, be untrustworthy, or think that I deserve it. American is not my identity. It is a gift from God. By His mercy, Christ is my identity, and all I have belongs to Him.
It has been popular to recite 2 Chronicles 7:14 for decades. If we don't start living it, God will have to say of this generation, if my people who were called by my name would have humbled themselves and prayed and sought my face and turned from their wicked ways, then I would have forgiven their sin and healed their land. That message is not merely for America in general, but for those who have been called by God's name.